everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, this week we have two segments for you. Kicking these off, Mike, Alex, Zach, and Danny break down this week's Nintendo Direct. And after that, Alex and James return with the second part of their AC25 discussion, this time going full-on spoiler, so be warned. Enjoy. All right, welcome to our segment of connectivity on the latest Nintendo Direct from uh, November 13th. I'm your host, Mike Sklins, and with me, I've got Alex Galafi. Hey, guys. Danny Bivens. Yo. And Zachary Miller. Yeah, we all watched, uh, well, I think, I don't know if Danny saw all of it, but we all watched today's Nintendo Direct. Um, mostly revealed about 3DS games, but there was a little bit of new Super Mario World 3D or whatever the hell. I keep getting the parts of that title in the wrong <laughs> Super order. Super Mario 3D, 3D Land World. World. No new. There's It's a new game. Oh, right. It's not new. New, new Super game. Mario Brothers 3D Land World. <laughs> you. Old <Yeah>. edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll start with, uh, I guess we'll just go in order. Well, first of all, what did, what did you guys think of this Nintendo Direct in general? It was like, remember what's coming out in the next few months? We're going to tell you again. Yeah, I kind of thought they'd be showing us more. I mean, they said about, you know, 3DS games coming through, like, early 2014, so I kind of expected maybe a reveal or something. But we didn't. We just pretty much learned about a bunch about games we already knew about. Right. And, then, like, I think the big problem wasn't that we needed, like, a new game, but I think the problem was that the games that we knew were coming out and were probably slated for the first quarter like Mario Golf, like Yoshi's Island, no appearances at all. All we got were, uh, yeah, that was weird. we're going to talk about yeah. it, but Leighton and Bravely Default. Yeah, they they chose to focus on a very few uh, number of games in this one. Like, really, I'm looking at the list, one, two, three, like, four, ga- four games plus some Wii U stuff. Through February. Yeah, it's just through February. Yeah, I mean, personally, I wasn't expecting to get my socks blown off or anything. Um but yeah, I, I was hoping for maybe a little bit more. But uh, there, why should I have? <laughs> I did like the giant stuffed like Reggie me head. I want that. It was weird, man. It was creepy, and I liked it for that reason. <laughs> it had a cr- pretty creative intro, and then it was surprising that it was just like a normal Nintendo Direct after. Yeah, they seem to like be tiptoeing their ways into like creativity and like zaniness with these things. But they only really they only dip in before they just pull right back out and. They go to a guy sitting in front of a camera reading press releases. They need to bring back Dark Gary. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this one was like, uh, I know I was joking on Twitter when it started. I was like, Bill should stop paying attention to this elevator and start paying attention to the girl in the elevator. (laughs) But then she like runs off like, I know nothing. Like, what was that about? (laughs) Like, she's not supposed to hear the conversation that Reggie is clearly broadcasting throughout the entire building or something. They're weird. I I kind of find them endearing in a way. (laughs) So I guess it's working. I'm sure that's what they're going for. They'll never make you laugh in the way they want you to. Right. No, the, yeah, they've tried, and it started out organically, like with Iwata and the bananas, and I don't, it started out really organically, but they've become self-aware of it, and now they're, like, actively trying to make them, like, certain moments of them, at least, really, really weird. Like, it's kind of funny when Reggie says his body is ready the first time after everyone realizes he knows. Right. But now, yeah. like, doing it today. It's like every Nintendo Direct has to hit, like, 
they got to check off the box that says my body is ready. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not a successful Nintendo Direct. Exactly. You know? uh, so I guess the first thing they talked about, uh, Reggie told us that apparently Link Between Past is his favorite yeah. video game of all time, which I think is a revelation. I'm sure he's had a couple favorite video games of all time, but I can't seem to remember what the other ones are. I thought he said like a Link to the Past. Yeah, Link to the Past and stuff. Yeah. But now, so he's obviously talking about Link Between Worlds and the new sweet 3DS XL, the shiny gold Triforce edition that I want real bad. (laughs) Am I the only one that doesn't want that thing? I mean... I don't have a 3DS XL. Okay. So I'm looking at it as an opportunity to upgrade because it's $20 less. Basically get the game for $20 off Uh because it's included with the hardware. Yeah. And it's really sweet limited edition hardware, and I'm a sucker for that. Yeah, I, I love limited edition hardware. Just I don't know, there's something about it. Just I don't know, I don't like it. I'm usually all for like the gold Zelda E type of stuff, but I don't they know. had one for the Game Boy Advance SP. I I think it might have oh. been Four Swords, but it's a it's like a lime green <laughs> Game Boy Advance SP, and mm-hmm. I got it, and I love it. It's cool. like the coolest color. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so they gave us a little more information on, I guess, I guess what you could call like a couple of the systems in Link Between Worlds, where um, you can fast travel via Irene, the witch's broom. So you just call the, go to the weather vane, call the broom, and it takes you to any other weather vane that you've discovered. Cool. That's handy because really one of the more annoying parts about Zelda games is walking back and forth across the map. Sometimes if it can, it can get a uh, pretty tiring, so it's nice to have this fast travel, and it even works. Between the two realms. That's nice. Yeah. That seems really crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause I, I just played Link to the Past recently, and, you know, sometimes it's kind of annoying to have to go in, you know, like, you have to go some specific place to maybe get some, like, hard piece or something, and, you know, it just depends on if you use the mirror already or something like that to switch between the worlds. So, yeah, I can definitely appreciate something like this. Yeah, I wish I had been playing Link to the Past, but I never really played it as a kid, and I've been dying to replay it, but I don't want to... I, honestly, I don't want to boot into Wii mode. I want to play it on my gamepad. <laughs> I know. Why is that out yet? Yeah, maybe they're waiting a couple more weeks. <laughs> why? The I game is know. out in nine days. <laughs> if it's not out, if it's not out tomorrow on Thursday, they will have missed a golden opportunity. But what they're going to do is either release it the day before on the twenty-first, or they'll just wait forever and just release it whenever the fuck they want. Maybe they'll coincide with the Japanese release of uh, Link Between Worlds so and do it like at mid- the end of December. <laughs> You need to give people time to beat it so they can beat it before they play the sequel. This isn't just like <laughs> releasing a game because it's in the same series. It's the direct precursor to this game, and a whole bunch of your audience hasn't played the original game. Oh, but my... They might want to play it before they play the sequel, but if, you can't. If you have enough coins, you can get the Wii version for free and yeah. you know, enjoy the Wii mode and all that stuff. Yeah. You know what, though? You guys are saying this under the implication that there is an expectation, a realistic expectation, that Nintendo frequently supports their Wii U Virtual Console. Like, at this point, anything they release is a nice surprise. And that's not a compliment. Yeah, yeah. They used to be pretty good at it. I remember they released, like, some old Metroid games, like, in the lead-up to some of the, to, like, to some of the, to Metroid Fusion, I think. Like, they would time releases like that, and it made perfect sense, and they don't, I don't know, they're not doing Just it anymore. falling off. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you could fast travel with the broom. That's where that was. Um, there's a character named Ceres that, from what I can tell, is basically low rules equivalent of Zelda. She's a princess, and you have to save her. I think that's important. <laughs> um, and then you can swim, and the milk bar is back. 
And then what I really want to talk about with you guys is they talked about the street pass feature, which you get by talking to a character named Gramps, which has got to be like <laughs> the most awful. They put no time into thinking of it name for any character in any Zelda game ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you talk to Gramps and Gramps lets you battle other people's shadow links that you get via street pass. And that seems really, really cool to me. You pick your, like, you it loads up your link with the number of hearts you have, and you can give him two different items. And then based on the items you give him and how many hearts he has, it sets a bounty on your link. And if someone kills your link, they get that many rupees. But if you kill their link, you get however many rupees their link is worth. Well, it seems like in 2013, it seems like they're still doing that thing where they feel like they have to have some street pass feature in it. And, like, more power to you if this is exciting but it does seem like they're phoning it in a little. I don't know. I thought, see, I think the complete opposite. I think this is one of the better uses of street pass for a game like Zelda. Like it's way better than the little puzzle boxes you got in Mario 3d world. Isn't it just going to get really repetitious though? Oh, I get to fight yet another way. I just, I'm surprised we got something this interactive. I guess maybe I've just set my expectations lower for street pass. (laughs) So I'm happy that we got something that seems as unique as this when I would like have fully expected it to be like, Oh, you can trade bottles with people or something <laughs> stupid like that, like on the Wii U version with Miiverse. Like I think that's neat and it's really fun, but it's not that exciting. This is much more exciting. It's an active gameplay element. It's not just not just hashtags. Right. I feel the same exact way because, like you said, man, I expected some kind of well with Street Pass, some kind of half-assed thing that's just not fun. And you say, oh, that's neat, and then just move on. But uh-huh. this is kind of cool. I mean, it could be the same thing. Oh, that's neat. And then, you know, you move on. But Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's not going to get more than, like, maybe 20, 30 minutes of gameplay. Sure. But I think it, it's pretty ingenious to mix it in with the Shadow Link, you know, mechanic from previous Zelda games. I think that's that's a pretty clever, clever use. And also, like Alex, I would like to applaud them for continuing to put Street Pass features into games in 2013, because look how many features Nintendo's introduced and abandoned really quick, like AR support on 3DS games, basically non-existent. We still haven't even, it's been a year, no one's used the NFC reader on the Wii U control pad. <laughs> yeah, that... like, It's good that they have Street Pass. I think it's an excellent feature. I think there's a lot of excellent potential for it. It's just, I don't think they're utilizing it fully. Especially what would you think would this. be a cool use for Zelda? I I think it's a cool idea that will get two or three tries for me specifically, but it seems kind of like it's well, it still seems kind of like we got to put something in here. It doesn't seem like an organic progression of whatever development they put into the game. It seems like that's we true. Gotta it put does something seem tacked on. Yes. I don't know. I, th- I think this could be a hit here in Japan, as you know, and I feel like a jerk even just saying it. But, you know, I could just, like, walk around my town. And it's not even that big, and I could get at least, like, you know, eight street passes or You're something. You're a jerk. Yeah, I mean, lucky. I lucky know. You. <laughs> you live in the land of plentiful street The <laughs> land of milk and honey. Exactly. And street passes. And cramped spaces and buildings and all that stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I I could see people doing stuff with this, and, it, you know, I guess. <laughs> I guess it being some kind of continuous thing. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, so that was uh oh, go ahead. I missed a real Galaxy Quest uh opportunity with the name of the princess there. Oh, you did. Yeah. Feel bad about that. I didn't that. even remember it. Alright, so uh next they talked about Mario Party Island Tour. Um are any of you guys big Mario Party no. fans? No. No. <laughs> this will be really short then. None of us like Mario. I mean I used to love Mario Party when I like was in a dorm room and had a, people to play Mario Party with all the time. 
that's perfect. But now I'm, well, I'm like two weeks away from being 30. And I don't play Mario Party anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems pretty neat that the whole game is playable via, I guess the whole game is playable via download play. That's really they said all seven levels in 80 mini games, so it may, or maybe there's more than 80 mini games. But the way they said it, it made it sound like the whole multiplayer feature was playable with one download, with download one card via download play. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, God, you would almost expect Nintendo to do the opposite of that, you know? Well, they're um, usually like Mario, like Mario Kart or something. There's like, all right, you can pick from four levels, and everyone has to be Yoshi. Yeah, but like, I'm, I'm saying like with apparently everything in there, that's crazy, and yeah, that's awesome. That's that's good because really, I think they figured out that maybe not. I guess I don't know about Japan, but in America at least, no way in hell you're getting four people to buy a copy of that game so they can play it together. No, I mean, you know, even, never going to happen. Even me, like I have some friends that are gamers, but not too many of them that are like Nintendo gamers. And even yeah. if I, even if I do, I don't, they don't live around here, you know, something like that. So what am I going to do? Play with some kids? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. it seems a little weird to me that I, I guess it's nice that they're doing it this way, but it seems weird that they put a game like this on a handheld system. It just seems, seems odd. Like, who's going to buy it knowing, like, if you've got four friends with 3DSs, it'll, it's almost like you have to play, like, Russian Roulette to figure out who gets to spend $40 on it. <laughs> like, you know, um, some kids that I teach, uh, like, in a private lesson, they have Mario Party on the DS and stuff, and, no, they really enjoy it, and I think it's, you know, it's a lot of fun for kids. They have their own individual screen and all that type of stuff. It can be, you know, pretty cool. Guys like us, Maybe though. Maybe you could, you could pull your money, like, you you and your four, three friends can pull your lunch money <laughs> yeah. together and then just split it, and you could rotate who gets to keep it for single player every week, and let's, then whenever you're together, you can all play it together. Let's see. He's six. There's a girl that's four. I, I might make a little bit more money than Not might. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you could just steal their lunch money and then buy it and get it for free. <laughs> uh, and they also said that there is a single player mode, the, the Bowser Tower. 30 floors of minigame madness. Every fifth level is a boss. Um... And then you can exchange Street Pass data for, like, people's ghost runs on certain minigames, and you can try and beat their ghost run on a minigame. Uh, well, that's better than... That's about what you'd expect yeah. for Mario Party. Uh, then next is Braverly Default, which has, what, been out in Japan for, like, a decade now? Actually, <laughs> it came out just last October. Um, but they've been showing off demos and stuff for it since, like, TGS. Last October? I thought it was, like, a launch, like, almost, like, within the first year of the 3DS in Japan. Um, around launch time, that was Layton. Layton 5 came out, and, yeah. like, Nintendogs, all that other bullshit. But, yeah, no, Bravely Default didn't come out until last October. Oh, so it, wow, it, I thought it had been out in Japan for, like, three years. I thought it came out, like, six months after launch. Yeah, yeah, no, I wish. I mean, it's it's really cool. Yeah. I haven't beat it, but it's but the version that we have here now, it's still a lot of fun. Really cool, like, old-school RPG. It seems it, and I, I got my head spun around listening to Bill explain it, because he just kept talking about all these different systems and points and, like, all this, like, really nerdy RPG stuff that I don't really keep up on. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty complicated, but, I mean, I think it it's pretty fresh and it feels really good to play. Battles are awesome. Um, like, enemies and stuff like that, they have some really great personality. Uh, even, like, the, you know, main characters do as well. I, you know, I heard some of the English voices sounded kind of weird, but, I mean, from what I played, maybe, like, eight hours or something. I mean, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So. It seems like a very old-school RPG. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it even looks like the way the character designs are kind of looks like an old Final Fantasy game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's sort of exactly what it reminded me of. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I bought it. The one thing I thought was funny is that it's got this brave system where you can, like, freeze time. 
but in order to freeze time, you need to accumulate sleep points. And the only way to accumulate sleep points is to leave the game running and to put the system in sleep mode. So in, in awesome. order to pl- in order to play, in, they've they've turned not playing the game into a feature of the game. <laughs> you need to not play Bravely Default if you want to experience all there is to see. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that was in the original Japanese version. It might be one of the new editions, but. Like, what, you know, I guess part of the reason for the name, you know, Bravely Default is, like, in the battle systems, you have these things called, I think, Braves, and if you assign these, yeah, Braves and Defaults, and if you assign, like, a Brave, you can get, like, an extra attack on that turn, but then you'll miss, like, a turn for, like, attacks or something, and you could, like, max out on that, or you can just default and you just sit there and you build up, like, an extra attack for, you know, down the line. I liked it better when that name had no explanation. <laughs> I liked it better when I thought it was brave early default. <laughs> yeah, your pronunciation like there made that. me double double check the name of the game. <laughs> I've misread it for like the first month or two I was reading about it, and I kept thinking it said brave early default, <laughs> which made it even funnier to me. And I was kind of disappointed when I found it. It's only bravely default. Ooh. It probably was named that initially. Then somebody said, "Whoa, hey, we need to change." Wait that. a minute, this is a little too wrong. Let's make <laughs> yeah. it wrong but less wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I guess Danny, you can explain the street pass feature to us. It sounds like you pass people, and then like they kind of become like a summon spell that you can use or something. Yeah, there, there's that mode in it. You can, I think, you have to assign some kind of like an attack. I, I didn't really fiddle around with that too much, but yeah, then you could use them in like a battle, and you get like a free attack or something. Um, I, I so need this nice. game. This game just sounds ridiculous, but it's it sounds it's cool. using the 3DS's features in brilliant ways. Oh, yeah. and if you buy the collector's edition, it comes with something like 20 AR cards, so you can use nice, AR. Even that, you know, as far as I know, I don't think they even really released physical cards here. They had like some digital ones that you can get on the website, but there are only like four of them, and it's it's cool. There's like interactive movies and stuff like that, but yeah, I have no idea <laughs> what. Why are there twenty four? <laughs> I mean, still it's cool to be like Kid yeah, Icarus. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to use everything for some reason. Uh, next game on the list was Level Five's uh, Professor Layton in the Azran Legacy, coming out February twenty eighth. Uh, are you, any of you guys Professor Layton fans? No, uh, I, no. I played the fifth one. That was my first one. It was in Japanese. It was really hard. The, the I played the first puzzles. one. My mom really likes these Professor Layton games. She's played like four of them. She loves them. There's your box quote. My mom loves these games. <laughs> yep. It seems like something I'd like. I just haven't got into it. It just seems to me like, yeah, this is another Professor Layton game. Like, there's going to be a lot of puzzles, and the animation is really fantastic, and you already know if you want to buy it. You yeah. Just, do you know the title of the game? Then you already know if you are the kind of person who's going to buy it. <laughs> I think this and Bravely Default, even if... Uh, I'm not necessarily that interested in either game. I appreciate the games, and I appreciate when they're releasing, because it looks like what they're doing next year is what they did this year with Fire Emblem and Brain Age, where they're basically releasing them as two February games to kick off the year, because they don't want to release anything in January, and they usually save March for their first big uh, Nintendo game. Yeah, they're good lead-ins. Right. Oh, wait. Because there's not a lot to play. Bravely Default got a release date? I didn't see that. Oh, February 7. Oh, yeah. nice. Done. And the the physical first run or whatever special, I don't know, special edition or something comes with the cards and the soundtrack and an art book. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's first run. 
Or maybe not first. They just said it's going to be available at like limited retailers. Yeah. Okay. So okay. probably GameStop. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to ask you that, but okay. Because I know in Europe, I think that collector's edition is only available. Well, in like UK, maybe at like Game or something, and whatever. You know, it's just kind of limited edition. You know, limited, limited yeah. stuff <laughs> about it. But. And then uh, the next thing they talked about were updates to the Nintendo Zone, which I don't know if I've ever been to a Nintendo Zone. Have you been to McDonald's or Best Buy? Not with my 3DS. So you just have to walk in. You don't need to have it set up or anything, right? right? You just walk in and turn it on. So you need to – it doesn't pick it up like StreetPass data. You need to actually go to the Nintendo Zone thing yep. on your 3DS? Yep. Okay. And it's, That's it's shitty because um, you can take quizzes, uh, and it takes like five minutes to load each question. <laughs> <laughs> so have there actually ever been demos on that thing? I've never get, seen any demos. I don't know. They said there's a whole bunch of exclusive content coming. Some Animal Crossing furniture, which I guess they put out a lot of. And then um, a special puzzle box for Mario 3D Land. Very oh, rare hmm. one, apparently. Maybe the one with the P-Wing, which I always forget to get. But yeah, that's Nintendo's own update. That's exactly how exciting it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I guess one of the bigger things they talked about was next month's 3DS system update that's going to... It's going to shake some things up. It's it's actually giving us, like, a lot of stuff that is desperately needed. Um, you have a shared eShop account between your Wii U and your 3DS. To be clear, it, like, it means wallet. Shared wallet. Yeah, wallet. Wallet. So if you put money on one, it's accessible on the other. Um, it sounds like the way they described it, when you set it up, what it's going to do is create an account on your 3DS and match it with your Wii U account. So if you have any money on your 3DS, if you have anything there, that won't move into the shared wallet. That stays on that hardware. But any future money that you add from that point forward is accessible on both. Okay. And they made a big deal about making sure you do the registration right. Wait, so are you <laughs> saying that uh, if I have like $30 on my 3DS and no money on my Wii U, I can't access that $30 on my Wii U. That's what it sounded like because they said mm. they said going forward you would need a a Nintendo Network ID in order to download demos and free content because they want to tie all of that to your to your joint account, but you would still be able to buy paid content on the 3DS without an account in order to allow people to deplete their existing balances on their 3DSs. It's also clear. Well, I'm not sure, but I... That's what it sounded like, and they were very particular about, make sure you register right. If you put in a different ID or you mistype your name, the funds aren't going to be shared. And the, they were so cautious about it, about saying that, it makes me wonder if if I screw it up, like, is this a one-shot deal? Can yeah. I not unregister an ID and then re-register a new one? It sounds like you're yeah. not going to be able to do that. It just seems like they used some visual when they were describing it that made it sound like the Wii U and the 3DS balances were going to become one. Maybe I could be wrong. I, th I feel like we won't they know did, all the though, details until You're right, they did say out. that graphic, but they also said if you had money on the hardware, you would be able to... See, they're very unclear about this. And then on top of that, with the, the really, like, they talked about making sure you do the ID thing right, like, two or three times. Right. Yeah, like it showed different examples of how people do it wrong. Like Super Mario yeah. Fan One Two Three, uh, they think that the same person will write Super Luigi Fan One Two Three, <laughs> or Super Mario Fan One Two Four. Yeah, <laughs> you just miskeyed it. All right, I hope there's some kind of 
way to like unlink accounts and relink them with different hardware or something. No. All I know is I'm not. I mean, it doesn't come out till next month anyway. But I'm not messing with anything on my existing 3ds. I'm just going to do everything on the new one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they're adding Miiverse also, which is a huge finally. deal. We're finally, finally, finally getting Miiverse on 3ds. Yeah, it also looks like they're retroactively adding, like, new uh, forum sections for older games, like Paper Mario and uh, New Super Mario, and I wonder how far back and how extensive that's going to be. Like, I don't think, like, Battleship, like, based on the movie, is going to be... Steel Diver, guys. Steel Diver. Steel Diver could, (laughs) because it's Nintendo. Yeah, I'm thinking they'll probably go back and add most, if not all, of the first-party releases on the platform, and then probably a couple of, like, the marquee third-party ones... Right. And then going forward, everything will get a community. Like, they weren't especially clear about either of these uh, Miiverse or, uh, what's it, wallet things in the update. But the only thing I know about the update is that they're trying really hard to bring Nintendo's account system into the future. Into the present, Alex. They're bringing it into the present. It's not even in the into present Into the yet. five years ago. Into the future of what I expected for Nintendo. <laughs> I, I didn't expect this until 2015. <laughs> I know that this is still, like, 2006 Sony territory. Yeah, if we're lucky and we, we cross our fingers and we're good little boys and girls, maybe we'll get crossed by for, like, a decade. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not even this gen. I feel like it's got to happen, though I think if it does, it won't be true cross-by. It will be, if you spend $5 for this virtual console game on your Wii U, we'll give it to you for $1 on your 3DS. I feel like I all of that can get. only happen once we have this Nintendo Network ID in place. Yeah. Yeah, thank God we have that. This is a big step forward for Nintendo. Unified account. No more Easily frame codes. The best we thing are in slowly the moving forward. Yeah, definitely the best news uh, is that they're finally integrating these two uh, these two features. Or these two systems, rather. I don't know. One, one possibility I think that they could do is making some kind of just cloud saves and you pay for it. <laughs> I don't know. For like, let's say you own something on the 3DS and then you own it on the Wii U. And it's like, they're like, hey, you can pay like five bucks and do that. See, that would be smart where, you know, if you're, you can opt in, like if you only want to buy it on one system, you buy it on one system. But if you buy it on a system and then you're also like a premium Nintendo network, like Xbox Live Gold, basically, mm-hmm. then you could cross play anything that you already own on one platform on another. Yeah, or that'd be nice. Not cross play, but just, Redownload. Yeah. Not like play, not like PlayStation 4 Vita where like your PlayStation is literally a server just pushing video. <laughs> uh, and then there's a YouTube app coming to 3DS, which I don't think anyone really cares about. <laughs> It'll sit right there next to Hulu Plus with no one using it. <laughs> Why did it take until November 2013 to get this out? Why did it take in three years from an announcement for us to get Hulu Plus? That bothered me too. At least YouTube wasn't announced years in advance. Um, and they're also updating the Wii U version of YouTube, so you can actually watch a video on the gamepad, which is crazy that that was the yeah, day one feature. Yeah. Wow. So, so now you can actually use the use. So the it's actually usable, yeah, <laughs> the way you'd expect it to be used. Video on the screen, on the TV, searching and other content on the bottom, and then if you want, you can just push the video to the screen, if, on, to the gamepad if you want. I, I just remember trying that's how, I, that's how I expected it to work on day one. Yeah, me too. Me too. I tried it out on day one. I was like, cool, it's YouTube, it's on my Wii U, it's going to be great. Oh, what the hell is this? And then you just quit and just haven't played since December, or tried even since December. All right, let's move on through uh, a couple of the Wii U things that were announced. Uh, Pikmin DLC, actual new levels, like not just remixed versions of levels we already have, but full levels um sounds like four different stages each each with a mission each with two mission modes 
I don't care. And one of them is a Christmas tree. And apparently the Christmas tree level, well, they showed a Christmas tree level, and then they said you, there's four stages, but one of them is included free with the update, and it's called, like, called something like uh, Festival of Festivity or something like that. So that's got to be the Christmas tree level, which sounds awesome. I want a Fortress of Festivity. That was it. I want to play that Christmas tree. Well, I'll slide down the Christmas tree with the Pikmin. It's going to look really cute. Um, Animal Crossing Plaza update. They're updating it. I'm going to move on. Thank you. <laughs> Most useless thing ever. You can look at your animals on your TV, but you can't really do anything with them. You can talk about them. Um, they showed a trailer uh, of a bunch of indie games. Um, did you guys notice any in here that you wanted to, to highlight? None of them have release dates. Yeah, that's true. None of them have released. Dante is supposed them... to come out this year, but we're running out of time. Yeah, and so I know Zach, you're probably very excited about Shante. Oh yes. And to, and tomorrow, as of we're talking on Wednesday, tomorrow, uh, Senran Kagura comes out. Oh, okay, that game. Um, yes, that Zach, game. Danny. Go, that game. Yeah, <laughs> I remember they have the sequel that came out. I think earlier this year. Um, just imagine. Anime girls, they're ninjas? Something and like that. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> they have enormous uh, chests. And, oh, this uh, is a Zack game. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's supposed to be, like, really fun. I haven't tried it. I think it's I think it's some kind of brawler? It's Yeah, I think so. I don't know. You I don't, don't even know what it is, and you're so excited for it just because of the art design. Yeah. I think Don Koopman bought it. Yeah, I think he did. And uh, a- Andrew's on the review. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, he got that, and I get Shantae, if Shantae ever comes out. <laughs> you poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the names, but there were two games that looked distinctly like they their developers had played a lot of Chrono Trigger growing up. <laughs> like, the two games looked so much like Chrono Trigger that I could not tell them apart from each other. I thought they showed the same game twice at for a moment. Yeah, indie RPGs, especially indie JRPGs, always bother me. Like, like I'm, I never have confidence in them. Yeah, it's a risky proposition. Um, then they showed fucking Shovel Knight at the end, and Shovel Knight just looks so goddamn good. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that too. That's really cool. Just the art, the art, and just the whole idea of it, and the character designs all look fantastic. I'm stoked on that game. I cannot wait for it to come out. Wasn't Shovel Knight a Kickstarter? Yes, it was, yeah. and it's by X, some ex-Mutant Muds guys. Oh, nice. Ex-Renegade Kid, ex-Renegade Kid guys. Wasn't it Way Forward? Or was it Way Forward? I no, thought it was no. Way I get all these indie developers, indie developers backwards. Way Forward's so. making a Kickstarter show. Well, no, X-Way Forward. Oh, X-Way Forward. No, a couple no of guys who left Way Forward. It was, maybe it was guys who left Way Forward. Maybe it was guys who left the other one. But they formed Yacht Club Games. Yeah. And, uh, and they're making Shovel Knight, and it looks amazing. It looks like Mega Man 2, but with shovels. <laughs> In HD. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing we got to talk about is the 10 new things about Super Mario 3D World, which contains some pretty heavy spoilers, uh, but I think we'll gloss over stuff real quick, uh, and then we'll, we'll put an official spoiler warning out uh, to say from this point forward, you should probably skip ahead if you don't want to have this stuff spoiled. It's basically like a lot of end game content and unlockable stuff. Or just watch the direct. Watch the direct. I mean, if you want to know about it, obviously. But Reggie was very, very apt to give a spoiler warning, uh, since I know some people would be very upset, including Alex, who already got spoiled by Zach. 
So, well, no, no, no. I didn't get spoiled by that stuff. That stuff I got spoiled by earlier. Uh, so there's a couple problems I have with the way Reggie did the spoiler warning. I won't go into a huge rant. If you want to read what I have to say, I did a whole editorial that's on Nintendo World Report. Uh, the thing I, that bothered me about in, uh, Reggie's spoiler warning is, one, he didn't mention that it was the end of the Direct and that people who didn't want to be spoiled could leave. And <laughs> Well, no, because it, it, he kept people on for in case there was going to be that one last thing, but he never mentioned that this was that one last thing. So everyone was still, like, in the stream even if they weren't watching it. We were all waiting the for that thing, uh, Metroid trailer at the end. The second thing is that after the video ended and Reggie started talking again and everyone was like, okay, it's safe. He's like, well, now, and didn't this all look great, including that spoiler mode? And, like, he, he revealed that little bonus game without even the trailer going on, which bothered me when the spoiler warning should have been over. And the third thing is that Nintendo, I don't know if they were naive or if they were looking for attention, but they should have known that once they reveal that information publicly, uh, and they even if they put a spoiler warning on it, people who don't want to get spoiled are going to get spoiled if they use any kind of social media, if they use any kind of Nintendo news source. And it's really the biggest fans of Nintendo who pay attention to everything they do. Uh, if they don't want to get spoiled, they're the ones who get screwed the most out of this. It goes be I guess because we're not talking about it. I mean, to be fair, though, I, I uh, we'd kind of talked a bit about this before the show. I don't feel like any of these are really spoilers because this game doesn't really have a plot. I don't think right. story is the only thing that consists of spoilers. The big uh, gameplay mechanic change or gameplay addition they announced is probably post-game. Realistically, that is probably post-game. Yeah. And that is probably the biggest post-game surprise. I don't know that for a fact. I haven't played it. Uh, so there's that. But if there is the biggest thing to spoil in the game gameplay-wise, that is either got to be the first, second, or third most important thing. It's a pretty big unlock, that's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I guess uh, I guess we're going to talk about spoilers. Spoiler uh, do you guys have anything else to say before we move to the spoilery part of things? I'm still not excited about this game. Now, this is the last thing we will talk about on this segment. So unlike Reggie, I'm giving you fair warning. This is the last thing we're going to talk about if you don't want to hear about the spoilers. Um, hopefully you are smart and you're listening to the AAC version of this podcast and you can just skip ahead to the next chapter. <laughs> but if not, um, I good luck fast-forwarding and figuring out when it ends. <laughs> Maybe give it a couple minutes, I don't know. But um, So I've got the ten things listed here. Um, first thing is, I'm not even sure this one was actually a spoiler. Uh, apparently you can use the microphone and the touchscreen during gameplay. I know they've showed the touchscreen before. Okay. They showed that at E3. What the heck are you going to use the microphone for? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can blow into it and, like, blow the enemies away oh, from Mario. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely, like, the weakest of all of the of the ten things they mentioned. It almost felt like they had nine things, and they were like, let's make it an even ten. What can we add? Mario will get a pan flute. This is, like, early DS day type of stuff, man. This yeah. is bad. Well, you know, if, if Everything you can, like, old is new again. <laughs> yeah, you can just blow into the uh, you know the microphone on the 3DS and make the game logos spin around, and that's like I think all I've ever used that microphone for. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's basically the same idea. Uh, the next thing is the Golden Express stage. This is like a, a 
train made entirely out of fucking gold that Mario runs around and collects, like, new Super Mario Bros. 2 level of coinage. Just coin madness. Yay. Stacks of coins to the ceiling. Does it do anything to collect those? I mean, aside from getting extra lives or something? I don't know. They hand out lives like candy in these games anyway, yeah. so... <laughs> lives are basically an afterthought in Mario games at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's fun. Like, I think it's probably going to be a thing where you're really going to go for high scores and see who can collect the most coins. Yeah. Because it looks like it's kind of timed in that it's a, you know, it's a scrolling level because it's on a train. So you have to try and do as best as you can. Uh, the next thing was the Captain Toad mode, which I guess seems like some kind of puzzle mode where you're given like a square playing area and you have to walk Toad around and collect five different stars, but you're not allowed to jump. (laughs) And it seems like there were ways to interact. Like, at one point, Toad stands on a grate with a fan underneath it, and you blow into the microphone, and the platform raises up, and he can keep walking. So you're going to have to, like, use your noggin to figure out how to get all five of the stars in the level. Does that sound interesting to you guys? (laughs) Yeah, not a big fan of the blowing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm also assuming it means, you know, some of these modes, like that mode, seems like it will be uh, will be gamepad only, probably. Mm. Um, next is speedruns, which I guess is almost also not really a spoiler, like speedruns in a Mario game. Beat the level in 100 seconds. That seems like more like an obvious feature along the lines of the touchscreen thing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, there will be mystery houses... That sort of seem like a like a souped up version of the puzzle boxes from Mario 3D Land, mm-hmm. where like you complete a really quick challenge and you get a thing. But it seemed like the house had like a string of like six of them you had to do in a row, as opposed to 3D Land just giving you like one. Huh. Um, the next one was the most confusing of me. It was called the Motley Boss Blob. So I I couldn't really tell what this was. It said something about a an army of clones, but I was unclear whether that meant I'm getting a bunch of Mario's like double with like a bunch of double cherries or is the boss a bunch of like a mob of, I don't know there was a mob of silver things on the screen and that was the boss. But then there were also a bunch of Mario's. Well, two. I'm sure it's like an army kind of thing. You against It also sounded like maybe it was said it was a shapeshifter. So maybe it's some kind of boss rush mode where this creature shifts into the different bosses from the game. Eh, Why not? I don't know. They were really, they were I, I felt like they were really, really unclear on that one into what it actually is, but it's some kind of boss fight, whether it's one or many or a rush or who knows. Um, okay, so we're getting into the, the last four, which are definitely, like, the cooler ones. Uh, well, at least three of them are really cool. One of them <laughs> might be cool. The first one is the um, the shmup stage. What was this? There's a, sh- there's this a top-down... So weird. There's a top-down stage where you control Mario, and it's basically, like... The level's scrolling, and block and platforms are constantly appearing in front of Mario, so he has a limited area where he can run forward on, and then also, like, bad guys are filing in like it's fucking Galaga or some shit, <laughs> which sounds brilliant, and I'm dying to play it. And you can, like, you get power-ups, so you've got the boomerang, and you can shoot the boomerang and knock out. Basically, it's a shmup, but with, but it's a, also a platformer at the same time, because you have direct control over Mario. It sounds incredible, and I cannot wait to play it. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not even that big of a shmup fan, but that sounds that's cool. just cool. Yeah, that's man. really cool. Like, yeah, what, Super Mario World on Game Boy, they had a similar stage, right? Like the end of the game or something? Sorry, spoilers. I didn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoilers for Super Mario Land. Uh, Game Boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they I, did. I 
Okay, just making sure I'm not crazy or didn't dream it up or something. Because sometimes that. Yeah, happens. well, that's that. That gives this this uh, this bonus mode a little more of a history. That that's great. So they're really doing a callback, which is awesome. Um, the next one is the Mario Kart stage. It's like a it's a foot race, right? And you all four people are racing, and it's a foot race, but it's platforming. It's not obviously kart racing, so it, it plays just like the game, but it's the track. The track is based on the Super Mario Kart art style. It plays retro Super Mario Kart music right. when you run, and it's it's a foot race who gets to the end first. And there's a whole bunch of those boost pads all over the place that help you like speed ahead. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I want to play that and listen to the music all day. <laughs> well, uh, next, oh, you want to? Sorry, I was, go ahead. Yeah, I know. For me, if I had friends to play with, it'd be great. But I don't know how fun it's going to be racing. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Could, I'm going to have to cajole my friends into playing it with me. That'll be a speed run thing. To. Yeah, that mode sounds really great. Mostly, I think, just for the art style and the old school music. Um, next is another retro. Going back even further, there is a Luigi Brothers NES game, like the original Mario Brothers game, where you run around the screen and like knock off the crabs and hit the pow block. Right. It's like that, but it's with two Luigis. And... And you can access it if you have a new Super Mario Luigi U save on your system. But there's got to be a way to unlock it during gameplay. Yeah, it just un- it unlocks right away. Like as soon as you turn on new Super, sorry, as soon as you turn on Super Mario 3D World, it unlocks if it detects that you have right. new Super Luigi U. But if not, there's some other way to unlock it, presumably. Because they just said you get it early. It's the, it's the easiest way to get it. It's not the only way to get it. Um, so that one seems like it could be cool, but then uh, at the same time, I also feel like I'm going to play it once and be like, yep, this is Mario Brothers. I've played this before. <laughs> just, and then never touch it again. Just play the battle mode in Mario 3. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, which is the big one that we were kind of talking about beforehand, is that uh, fifth unlockable character, Rosalina from Super Mario Galaxy. Yay. And it looked to me like she had a spin attack that also functioned as a double jump. Makes sense. It would get her, like, a little, like, 20% more, like, of a little boost jump. Well, not, like, a full double jump, but just, like, a little extra oomph, basically. Yeah. Like Ratchet. Yeah, like Ratchet, yes. It's a good comparison. So it seems really cool. And so she can attack at any time. Like she has, she just spins, and she's knocking over Goombas and stuff. She just runs right into them while spinning. Nice. Yeah. But that was uh that was the ten new things about Mario three uh, D World. Do they get you guys more excited about playing the game? No, nope. I'm already I'm already stoked as hell on this game. So really, it's just kind of turned it up a little bit more. But I don't think I could be much more hyped on it. Yeah, I mean maybe I'm kind of in the same way you same place you are, Mike. Like I'm excited. I think some of this stuff's cool. But I mean I was buying this game anyway, so yeah, it's just kind of irrelevant for me. But Zach, you're not interested in them. I just I don't know. I'm I'm oddly. Oddly not compelled with this game. I mean, I know it's got all these cool features. It looks fun, but I don't know. I've, I've had a Mario overload, I think. I'm sure I'll buy it. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to get it. Although I was sure I bought, I was sure I was going to buy Galaxy 2, and I never did, and I haven't played that. Okay, I'm glad. I'm not the only asshole in that same boat. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I, I bought Super Mario 3D Land, like, on a whim. I wasn't that excited about it, and I read a couple reviews, and I said, this sounds great, and I bought it, and I think it's my favorite Mario game now. Oh. So I'm really excited about Super Mario 3D World, because 
it's the sequel to what I think is my favorite Mario game. Alex, do you have any final thoughts? So there were a few things that uh, bothered me. It was, the first is that 3D World might be my favorite 3D Mario game. And although the idea of a sequel should excite me, I think this game is coming too soon. Uh, just versus the last game. I think the Wii U definitely does need a Mario game, but I think... It's been two years, though, since the last game. I don't think I'm ready for a new one yet. I, I want them to keep it in the oven, and I want them to come up with a lot of creative ideas. I want this to be the next step. I thought there was 64, Sunshine, Galaxy, 3D Land, and I wanted this to be the next thing. This is basically 3D Land 2. So that, yeah. that was the first thing that bothered me. The second is uh, Nintendo's insistence to do something that, revealed by anyone else, would break loads of review embargoes in the sense <laughs> that they, they they ruined a lot of content in that game for me because surprises are one of the biggest things for me in a game. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, I don't know if that's a healthy thing, but that is how I enjoy games often, is how surprised I am. And I think there are still going to be surprises in this game, and I am still going to play this game eventually. I might get it for Christmas. I might get it as something to hold me over in January. But especially with Tearaway, with Zelda coming out, with uh, my PS4 just shipped, so I'm going to have that. I don't think I have room in my heart right now to keep my pre-order of 3D World. They did a lot of things that keep me from getting too excited about it. And there's just too much uh, that's coming out at the exact same time. So I kind of want to play this. I'm sure I will enjoy it. I'm sure if I play it uh, by the end of December, it might pop up on my personal top ten games of the year. But right now, it's just not a priority. Well, you know, if I had a PS4 coming, I'm sure my priorities would be in a different spot as well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that about uh, wraps it up for our uh, Nintendo Direct coverage. Um, thanks a lot, Alex, Danny, and Zach, uh, and uh, we'll see you guys yep. later. Yep, later. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey guys, Alex Kalafi here. So what you're going to listen to now is what amounts to a sequel segment to the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Dual Destinies connectivity segment James Jones and I did last week. As a re This is basically the continuation of the segment. The segment was so long that we split it into two. As such, I wholeheartedly recommend that you listen to last week's segment before you listen to this one. 
Uh, however, if you just want to jump right into the spoilers, just know that we already talked about the gameplay. We already talked about uh, basically Phoenix, Athena, and Apollo's character development. So what you're going to listen to now is uh, we're talking about the prosecutor. We're talking about story spoilers. We're talking. We're going to be talking about spoilers of past games too. So just keep that in mind. It's a really great uh, continuation of the segment from last week, but I just wanted to let you guys know what. What we're what this basically is. Thanks. Uh, all right, so we are going to move on to the prosecutor, and because we are moving on to the prosecutor, and because we spoiled a lot more than we probably should have uh, yeah. in the Apollo Justice section. This Sorry is about full that. Sp- no, this is full spoiler warning. After this, we are just dropping. The mic, we are going to talk about everything and everything. If you played through the game, enjoy. There's probably going to be some fun stuff. If not, uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, please stop. Please. I don't want to ruin this game for you. I really like, don't. It's it's the stories, like, they put too much effort into the story for us to just throw. Yeah, I mean, this away. game, this game, this game, really, all these games in the series live and die by their plot. So yeah. I don't want to take away the opportunity for anyone to experience this plot. Right. So please, if you have not beaten, even if you're on the last case, just wait. Just come back. It's a recording. It's not live. It'll be here when you finish. Okay. So now that that's going, well, well one last warning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Seriously, we're not joking. <laughs> okay. Uh, Simon Blackwell, that is who I want to talk about now as yep. a prosecutor. Uh, I don't think he is as interesting as Edgeworth or uh, our buddy in Trials and Tribulations, but he's he is dark. leagues ahead of Gavin. He uh, He's interesting. Oh, he the fangirls are pissed at us now. What? Gavin has a bunch of fangirls. They're pissed at us now. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, think, I think Gavin, as a character, he's a good guy. Right. He's not dark in any way. He, you know, he's 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 a, little he's a rock safe. star. He's a rock star, but right. he's a safe rock star. He's not going to cause problems. Right. He he has a a very he doesn't he's not out to just get guilt, guilty verdicts. You know, Edgeworth early on is just out to get guilty verdicts. It doesn't matter how he gets mm-hmm. them by hook or by crook. He wants guilties, and his evolution as a character from being someone who just wants to rack up victories to someone who actually cares about justice is why Edgeworth was interesting. If he started as this sort of like, well, you know, it's more important that we figure out who really did it and ended there, I don't think he'd be nearly the interesting character he is. He'd just be a dude that wears a cravat. I mean, his evolution is what made him interesting. And you could say that to an extent about Francesca, who is does make sort of the same character progression, although she makes it in a much more antagonistic sort of way, where at the end right. she's like, I care about justice, but I hate all of you. <laughs> um, and really, the evil prosecutors that come up a couple times in games in the past, they never make that progression, so it's why it's so satisfying to bury them in the ground. Because they still only care about getting guilty verdicts. And that's why even the other prosecutors are like, man, I'm glad that guy got put away. He's a jerk. But Blackwell, uh, specifically him, he is this weird amalgamation of all of them. Because he cares about justice. He uh, he has this weird samurai creed. He is a samurai. I mean, he is literally – he's dressed like one. He's an emo samurai, basically. I think think the implication is that he's pale because he doesn't get sunlight or something like that. I don't know. Like he's, I mean, he even use, uses, you know, the like the the proper, um, 
uh, honorific when he addresses other attorneys as if it was a samurai talking to a samurai. I mean, right. his suit is essentially a a uh, a modernization of a, a late a late Edo era or late late Tokugawa era samurai dress mm-hmm. non combat uniform. I mean, he's he's a samurai, and they talk about this sword that you never see. And they keep saying, like, oh, put that sword away. It's like, he doesn't have a sword. What are you doing, game? And I wonder, I'm not sure why they keep doing it, but he's clearly cutting things. Like, they have a, he has this, one of his animations, he throws a feather at the, at the defense bench, and then he slashes it with an invisible blade of some kind. And he also has a hawk or eagle that is basically perched on his shoulder at all times, despite the fact that he's a criminal. And by the way, he's a criminal. Who gets yeah. to prosecute? They do explain it well uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah, but that's so crazy how he's this uh, this he's men- convicted this of murder, tortured yeah. samurai who is both a convicted murderer and he um, what's it? and he he just he has a hawk. Yeah, well, I, and there's a there's a amusing scene when the hawk first shows up where basically he uses the hawk to do things like deliver evidence right. or or to attack. Like he, he, the hawk is essentially. Both his delivery mechanism and also Francesca's whip. Well, it's one of his, but and while Francesca's whip was mostly played for laughs, I would say the thing about his hawk is that he carefully uses it for psychological manipulation. Oh yeah, because not only is he a samurai and a prosecutor and a murderer, well, convicted murderer, murderer. convicted murderer. Uh, he is also a master psychologist, which comes into play at the end of the game. Spoiler alert! It's super time. nuts. Like he is a uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's he's. I kind of like him as a prosecutor because he, at the very beginning, despite the fact that he's a convicted murderer and ostensibly he is, he is you know, it, it, at the very beginning, everybody sort of acknowledges he's a murderer, and the game actually tells you through these flashbacks to the scene of his murder. Right. You know, he's a murderer. Like, the, the game doesn't attempt to hide from you any kind of pretext that he didn't kill this person. Like, the game has given you very explicit visual signals. This dude killed somebody. And the conditions of the murder don't come out so much later. The victim, the circumstances, it's all... But, I mean, there are pictures of him holding a sword drenched in blood. And not to mention, uh, since I did the spoiler alert... I, I was kind uh, of trying to hedge around this. Fuck but... all of you, because you're still listening, and I... No, seriously, those one, one more chance. One, one more chance. One last chance. Uh, I guess the things I got excited about was, one, he's not actually a murderer. He's, he's, a, he's a completely uh, he's... non-violent person. And also, he is so... He's such a master at psychological manipulation that he uses the mood matrix to his advantage at towards the end of the game yeah. to basically fuck with all of the lawyers. He screws with all of you. Right. And, and now the thing is, he's the reason he's acting like a psychotic killer uh, is because he realizes that for, I don't use the term political reasons, but for, for the purposes of both protecting his backstory mm-hmm. um, and for understanding and for, you know, gaining advantage both in court and in prison, because he lives in prison, <laughs> uh, he realizes that acting like this tough guy will, A, help bury the history he's not tr- – will prevent people from digging up the history he's trying to hide. Right. And B, will, you know, keep him alive insofar as he can. Um, 
I don't wanna, I don't know if I want to go into the spoiler into this spoiler because this is a big one. But I guess we, again, we, you know what? We're not even going to bring it up anymore. Spoil it. You know what? Phantoms the Phantoms the final antagonist. Well, well, yeah, well. So I don't I was say that's, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was gonna say We're that, not there yet, but I'm just saying. I was going to say that the spoilers. He um, I mean, so he he essentially was convicted for the murder of um, you know, Athena's mother, and. There are these really grisly images of the murder scene where blood is being splashed over like ten year old Athena's face. And she's smiling. Yeah, I mean it's it's super grisly. well, in some of them she looks mortified and so in right. some of the later ones she's smiling, but it's incredibly grisly. And what it comes out is he is he's always been concerned about justice. Which always seemed weird because like he's a murderer. Right. But what it comes out is no, he was he thought Athena was the murderer. And, of course, everybody ends up thinking that at mm-hmm. the end. And he was taking the fall for her despite his concern about justice. Despite yeah. the fact that he is uniquely concerned about justice amongst all the prosecutors in the game's history, he is willing to take the fall for a child who he believed committed an act of murder. And he's put on death row for it. And he is explicitly trying to prevent people from investigating that case on fear of the fact that they may realize, oh, crap. We got the wrong guy. Right. And it's – it's he sort of makes the, the progression in reverse. He goes from being really concerned about justice to being really concerned about the sort of end justify the means kind of thing where he, he desperately doesn't want anything to happen to Athena. Right. And he's willing to do whatever it takes, including die, to make that happen. And he sort of comes back around to it once he realizes he's not going to be able to stop them from investigating this case. It's he's, – he's, the progression he takes is complicated and convoluted. Well, I think, I think that's the name of this entire game, complicated and a little convoluted. Oh, it's a lot convoluted. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's one of the only – I guess briefly before we move on. You like Blackwell, right? I, I do. I think, I think sometimes he comes off as – I don't think he comes off as as funny as the other prosecutors. Yeah. Because uh, he's supposed to be so gruff and serious. Yeah. Um, you know, the only real running gag they have with him is the fact that he keeps breaking his handcuffs no matter how powerful they make them. Yeah. And he's electroshocked every time he does it. I would, it would be, the the only thing that really bothers me about him is the damn sword. Mm-hmm. It's like, when I unsheath my blade, in what? And he'll do hand motion like he's drawing a sword, but nothing's there. For whatever reason, that bothered me every time they did it. I know why he doesn't have a sword, but why does everybody react like he has one? <laughs> because it's Phoenix Wright. It's it's a, it's a goofy ass. Word. He already has a hawk. He's having eat people's faces. Isn't that sufficient? And you, you know what makes this all even more ridiculous is that in the localization, technically, this all takes place in Los Angeles. It does. <laughs> yeah, that's. It becomes. It's becoming increasingly hard for them to. So they the, just say this country. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, in the first game, they don't do that. They don't. It's just, Ace Attorney takes place somewhere, right? It's not really important where the Phoenix Wrights take place. They just they just do. They exist, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that this is very Japanese. I mean, the legal system portrayed in it is a is a parody of the Japanese legal system. Even things like the architecture are Japanese in design, like police uniforms, like everything. But like they they decided at some point, I guess it was Game Two, that no, this takes place in Los Angeles. Right. But now you have a samurai prosecutor walking around. You have an entire town that exists based on the mark and trade of Japanese demons. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is getting really hard, guys. 
This is getting. Oh, and you have a spirit channeler show up later in the game. Right. It's like uh, this is getting super hard to buy now, guys. So, uh, just I guess once again, briefly, I think the biggest problem with this game. Well, I think my biggest problem is the difficulty. But outside of that, my biggest problem with this game is the fact that the story loves giving out so many details and so much information in such a small amount of time that the game becomes a lot more convoluted than previous games because of it. Even though I love the story in a lot of ways, it, it suffers because of how much detail they give and the way they distribute it. You know, it reads like a pulp novel. And so they, they get into these really salacious details mm-hmm. about intrigue and murder that you know maybe, maybe you could still get the basic checkpoints of the plot without going into. But they're, they're really... I mean, they're, it's trying to be really gritty and and trying to paint the complexities of what's really going on behind the scenes. It, right. In a way, presenting the details in that way facilitates it, but at the same time, it can make it really confusing. Um, the, the, the last case, where they're just... It's just a battering ram of information. I mean, they're just heaving it on you. Because they're basically trying to take you from Simon Blackwell is the killer... All the way around to essentially this mysterious spy phantom guy that nobody knows who he is, who was responsible for the sabotage of a spacecraft seven years ago, and is also the killer. And he's the killer of in the current case, and also the bombings, and also he's like the best spy in the history of the world who plans out escape routes that make no sense. Right, and it's got to make that leap from all the way here to all the way here. Mm-hmm. And it's so far to go that they almost inevitably have to just pound you with details. And sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh my god, what are you trying to tell me, game? And you just feel like you're, you know, it's like you're drinking out of a funnel. You're just like, okay, I can't keep going. You need to slow down. But it can't. And I understand why it can't, but oh my god, that game can be hard to keep up with. Right. So, last up, our last big section. We got... Uh, some spoiler cast, which I guess is irrelevant because we've been doing spoiler cast for the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, this is this is this is the big brunt of it, though. Yeah, the um, I want to talk about the final case and when the entire game goes off the rails. So we got this final case. It's insanely interesting because it takes place in this bombed up courtroom. We got yep. Edgeworth's return, who is such a different character. We, we you can go on that tangent in a second. It's very dramatic at this point, right? Like, and his his you know what we'll just talk about it now. His uh, evolution, especially versus Pearls, who's basically the same character but looks thinner and taller. She's older. And, she's right. Adult, she's she's a she's a young teen now. Right. Uh, Edgeworth is so different. He's like this much. He he acts like he's fifty. Yep. Well, and he always acted like he was old. I mean, right. that was part of the. See, even when he was a child, he acted like the adult in the room. And that was because remember he he Larry and Phoenix were friends, and he thought Larry was an insufferable little child, and that Phoenix just had too much energy. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that he's you know the super old adult in the room now. Um, it right. it's. Actually, it's to the point of Pearl's. I actually like what they did with Pearl. Like, I like that she's she's a little bit older now, and she's frustrated by the mess they're making. <laughs> she, like she acts exactly like Pearl makes the exact same adorable animation. But she's she's a little bit older. Like you can see, like, like okay, guys, she's sixteen now. I think. No, she can't be. Yep. She because she was eight in the uh, last game. I think. Oh my I'm god. Positive. Oh my god. I, I'll have to go back and look at the court record for it and see how old they say she is. Oh wow! Um, yeah, 
So but she's like, older than Phoenix's adopted daughter. Oh, she's the same age, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, they... I, but to Edgeworth's point, yeah, he's... he's If Phoenix is the adult in the room, Edgeworth's the old man. Right. Like, he's gotten to the point now where, you know, he walks away when things... Are, he literally walks away from the case when things are getting interesting. He goes in there, he tosses a hand grenade into the case, and he's like, all right, I'm out. Peace. Like, because... Oh. His, his explanation is, well, the chief prosecutor, which he's now chief prosecutor, doesn't really get involved in these minor cases. Yeah. And you're basically trying to hunt down a spy who's bombed two, two separate space flight attempts that the, that the government of not totally not Japan has been looking for for eight years. He's like, no, nope, I'm out. I'll see you all later. Like, like once, once he gets to that point, he's like, all right, uh, you guys don't need me. It's a minor case. It's funny how the entire Japanese government is, well, I guess lost. No, not American the U.S. government. government is uh, hunting down the someone who took down their space program and defeated their space program twice over eight years, and it takes conjecture between Edgeworth and Phoenix Wright to figure it out. Yeah. Well, like, they all sort of, so, so, that, this is interesting, so, in sort of like the DH6 case, or 7, mm-hmm. I can't remember, uh, but... In the first game, there essentially is a, a case investigating a murder. That It's not part of the main case. It's it's a historical incident that happened a long time ago. Um, it comes up in other cases. But Maya's Maya, the, the spirit channeler, um, who is Phoenix's assistant through the first three games, right. with the exception of game two, um, her, her mother was brought in to basically channel the spirit of the victim to ultimately help solve the case. And that case sort of ties up the entire Faye family and then... For the next three games, that case becomes sort of the ghost hanging over everything. Even when they think they've solved that case, it continues to haunt them. I heard a brief pause. Check quickly. No, I'm good. Okay, cool. Uh, that, that was probably just Skype going, eh. All right, that's fine. Uh, but in, in this yeah. case, it's somebody was paid to sabotage this totally not Japan space program. And um, what ended up happening is so he they his sabotage attempt mostly failed. But in the process, there was a murder, but the government won't talk about the fact there was a spy involved because they're too embarrassed. Right. So while you're investigating this second murder that takes place right before a launch, which is kind of creepy, and second bombing, which is super creepy, right after a case about bombings, Mm -hmm. like they're all like – they're all like – everybody's pulling Phoenix aside and going, hey, you know, a few years ago there was a case – we think there was a spy involved, but we didn't want to talk about it. Right. And they're all like, but it's totally not related to the murder that happened at the exact same time the spy was around. Totally unrelated. And you're like, do they believe this, or are they just letting Blackwell take the fall? And what it comes later is, Edgeworth knew all along Blackwell was just taking the fall. Right. And it's it's sort of uh, like, ooh, there's some seriously messed up conspiracy crap going on right here. And it's nice that they sort of wrap that up in a bow, except, well, I'll let you take it from here. Okay, um, yeah, so we we get to this point, uh, Phoenix and Edgeworth are basically, they're in this bombed courtroom, they're arguing it out like old pros, you know the background if you're listening to this, I hope. Yep. Uh, so, and then we get to the point, we prove Athena's innocent, we prove Blackwell is innocent. Of the murder, and, then, and the murder eight right, years ago. And then we, we're about to discover who the Phantom is, we're about to discover who this, uh, who this ultimate spy is, this final antagonist. And Before this this is the point that, where Ed, this is the point where Edgeworth just walks the fuck out. 
Right. He's like, I'm gone. See you later. So this because he he did his job. So before we get to this very point, and I I just want to talk about this uh, Phantom quickly because we're at like fucking hour ten. Yeah. Uh, who did you think the Phantom was going to be? So it became increase. So it's sort of a microcosm of Case Three where I'm I'm just eliminating potential people. And I'm running out of people, and I'm getting to the point. I'm like, oh hell, it's like it's like okay, I'm running out of people. Oh my god, and like all my brain is starting to point to one person simply because I've been playing Guess Who and I've eliminated everybody else. Right. Uh, um. In this case, I'm running out of people, and I'm running out of people, and I notice that one of the characters is starting to slip out, and he's moving away from his normal persona. And it doesn't register – it registers me that's weird, and he's going to be involved in the end game. But I could never figure out who the Phantom was. I was like, okay, I'm out of characters now. Um, what am I going to do? And then at some point during the case, I put it together and went, oh, hell. Oh, it's Bobby. Uh, uh, yeah, it's Bobby. Yeah, right? yeah. I was like, so Bobby is the police investigator if you really shouldn't be listening to this podcast. And he's gone from being this happy-go-lucky guy, and then in case five, he's sort of like a little bit out of it, like a little spacey, pun not intended. Yeah. Because I'm not a Phoenix Wright writer. <laughs> you guys and your puns. Um, he's like – he's kind of out of it. He's just giving stuff away. And like I was I was legitimately surprised. Um not now, not when they unveiled it because I'd already figured it out from that point. Right. But like, once it hit me, I went, "Oh, oh, this is getting dark." And Th- so we this- find out it's uh. Well, what do you want to say? I was just saying I was going to repeat the fact this is getting dark. Oh yeah, so we, we find out it's Bobby, which is which is that sounds like it's about enough to get ready for an end game by itself. Okay, because I thought it was going to be. I had two guesses. The first one was that it was going to be that lady from the first case who died. Uh, because I was starting to put together the, the police investigator, scene. right? Her, I thought she was going to be the spy. I also she thought... was there. She was involved in that case, right? I also thought there was a chance that the defendant from the fourth case, the guy with the red hair, yeah. I thought they were going to pull a uh, that thing that happened in the second game. And oh yeah, it was going to be, uh, and there was going to be a surprise. Right, the, there. the best case in the history of the Phoenix Wright series, where the whole game turns on its head at the end. You're like, oh my god, I'm actually defending the killer. <laughs> Okay, well, I, was, I wasn't going to go that far, but okay. So, uh, we, we figured that out, uh, and we're like, okay, Bobby Fulbright, uh, this gumshoe-looking guy, he's the killer, he's the final antagonist. I'm ready for the end game. I'm ready for them to start wrapping it up. But then... We well, well, I'll point Bobby. out what's creepy is they're still playing his music! They're still playing, they're still his, playing his super upbeat music, and I'm like, no, stop it, this is creeping me out! And it seems like they're about to uh, wrap it up, and it's getting a nice conclusion, until one moment, Blackwill, I think it is, uh, sort of throws down one of his razor leafs, because uh, I, I guess, that, because that's what he does, except this time, it slashes Bobby in the face, and right. no blood comes out. Instead, uh, a mask comes off, and it's turned out that the Phantom is actually a Phantom who was not a character that was revealed up until this point, and that he's basically a man with an uh, an infinite running supply of masks, yes, or of people he's intending to kill if the uh, situation arises that he needs to. Yeah. So, well, the kicker here is he he gets a piece of history from the case, or no, they they find the body of Bobby Fulbright. Right. 
so who's he, dead. He's he, dead. He's a he's real person, but he's like dead as shit. Started. And like Blackwell finds that out during the case, and and then cuts the mask off, and everybody else freaks out because I thought Blackwell. Oh shit, Blackwell actually killed somebody this time. Right. And uh, the mask comes off, and it's the defendant from case four. Right, which I thought there's like oh, I, will, I, will, I, I, I threw it. the ass and went ah, gay, <laughs> what the hell? And then and then like because. You had just basically – when I said you went from Blackwell being the killer all the way through this guy, actually you went from this astronaut being the killer to Blackwell to Athena to Bobby essentially to the Phantom. And right. so it would have been the most amazing turnabout if, if all of a sudden the guy from two cases ago who you originally got off for all this shit was the guy who did it. But, <laughs> but no, because then the next mask comes off. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And he and goes through like the like the sort of um, Damon Gant level freakout, which you don't see right. a lot in this game, where like the most extreme tier of guilty party freakout, where all his masks are coming off, and then his final mask comes off, and it's like it's still Bobby Fulbright. Yeah, it's and like I thought, okay. And I thought that was gonna be his actual face, and he was gonna tear it off, and he yeah. was going to like die. Uh, no, it wasn't though, because we knew Bobby Fulbright's right. dead. Uh, we did have a little interlude where he was Phoenix, which was fun. That was that was that was fun and goofy. Um, um, but what's yeah. what's super dark about this game? I mean, besides the fact that a bunch of people get murdered, yeah. um, is that essentially being a spy has has screwed this guy up psychologically so badly he doesn't have an identity anymore. Mentally, he's he's become sort of this this no this mental nomad that just sort of goes from persona to persona. Like he's he's really messed up. Yep, and then by the time the game ends, uh, they keep uh, teasing that we're going to see his face, and we're going to see his face, but they uh, subvert that at the end, and we never find out what the face of the Phantom looks like. And, and I know uh, why they did that, because they wanted it like, oh, he never had a face, he lost his humanity. Right. I kind of still wanted to see the face. Yeah, I think I think from a storytelling standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to just go like, well, he doesn't have a face, it doesn't matter. Because like, effectively, <laughs> it, yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't anymore. But at the same time, it's like, God, how many masks does he have? Like, I, I would just, I kind of wish there had just been a scene where maybe you don't even see his face. Maybe you see the back of his head. Right. And you just see the other characters reacting as they're pulling his mask off. I would have taken that. that because that would have been an absolute Ace Attorney move where they just pull, you just see them react as their faces go, oh, whoa, what? Because part of their, their reaction to his mask coming off and him being all these characters from cases that he should have known nothing about because they were removed from his peer view mm -hmm. was kind of amazing because you realized, oh, wow, these cases really were involved. The other thing they never really resolved, they kind of resolve it, is yeah. the bombing of, of courtroom four. So they, they resolve it at the end of case one. Um. Mm -hmm. But then it sort of comes unglued at the end during case five, where so what happened? I mean, they, they basically say, okay, the case, the guy who did the bomb and comes and goes, I actually didn't press the button to set the bomb off. The bomb went off. Somebody else had stolen the remote. Right. Well, it would make sense that Bobby Fulbright would have had access to the remote to set it off. So the implication there obviously is that Bobby set the bomb off, but they never actually say it, and it would have made so much sense for the spy to have blown up the courtroom because the court case was about. Effectively, about tangentially one of his crimes, so it would have made sense for him to destroy the courtroom because it would have pointed back to him. But like they don't mention it, so it's kind of like a couple loose ends get left behind by this case, which right. is super. I mean, it is super disappointing that we don't get to see the Phantom's face. I understand why they do it. 
Um, a little bit of loose ends are kind of like, oh man, because you got yeah. they went they got so close they almost got to three, which ties literally every single thing that's ever happened in the Ace Attorney world together. But they didn't quite get there. At the same time, though, you're like, the the spy just feels like a cop out. Like I get the motivation, I get the point, I get that he's he's a you know he's an international bon vivant of crime, but. It just feels like, oh, there's this character that you guys never actually met, except he was hanging around the whole time in the mask of a dead dude. Right. He needed a little... I think... I understand why they did everything they did, and I respect everything they did with the story, basically. I still felt the ending was a little weak. I think what they could have done, two changes. The first is they do exactly what you, what you say. Uh, we at least see the characters reacting to the face. Right. If, and then the other thing... I wish they fleshed them out a little bit more. Because right. Because what we ended up with at the end of the game was actually maybe even a little worse than if it was just Bobby Fulbright. Yeah. Because we didn't have a person at the end. Our final antagonist was a character we didn't even know, basically. I mean, he was he was literally a phantom. I mean, anytime, anytime you heard about him right up until the end... All you heard was rumor. I mean, mm-hmm. these were police officers talking in I mean, talking in rumor. I mean, even Bobby Fulbright, who himself is the Phantom, gives away little tidbits of information about this this sort of demon that haunts the courtroom. Like they don't really know anything about I mean, and it makes sense. The the prosecution knows nothing about this guy. Right. And at the same time though, it makes him feel kind of like punching at mist. You don't he has no context. If he had been inhabiting multiple characters throughout the game or something insane like that, yeah. I think you could get away with him being this. But the fact that he was right behind you the whole game, monitoring everything you did, and then screaming at you about justice a lot of times, as Bobby is inclined to do, it, it, it sort of diminishes his um, – his, uh, the impact of it being a spy. Because he's just like, oh yeah, he's this amorphous ghost that's been hanging around – Sort of in Bobby Fulbright. I right. mean, in in uh, to bring it back to the third game because they're so closely parallel to one another in this way. Mm-hmm. In the third game, it, it's literally a ghost. The killer is literally a ghost. It has been inhabiting bodies, but it is a ghost. Yep. And but the thing is, even though it's a ghost, they've been personifying that ghost for the last you know twenty hours of gameplay. They've been even though you don't realize this is a ghost, they've been fleshing her out. To the point where when it's revealed, that's what it is. You're like, yeah, all right, I can see that. Yep. Like when they said it was a spy and I started to suspect Bobby, I just assumed Bobby had been, you know, he was he had gotten into the police department to infiltrate this stuff. Like that this was all set up. That he, you know, he was hired as a police officer because he was a spy and that was his way in. Not that he was going to be some mask-wearing Scooby-Doo villain. Okie dokie. So... It is time for us to bring this to a close. Before we go, uh, last question, a two-parter. The first is general thoughts, and second, uh, I want you to rank the games for me. The games or the cases? Games, I think, I'm just... just Yeah, the the cases are insane. It's hard to rank them. The the Um, cases are part of one big story. Yeah, I would say my, – my general thought is I love that these stories are all connected like this. I think Game 4 attempts it and doesn't succeed because ultimately the plot is they're trying to smuggle medical cocoons in a guitar that they make catch fire through a remote lighter to hide the fact yep. they're smuggling medical cocoons in a guitar. It doesn't make any sense. It's just complete yeah. 
It's complete asinine bullshittery. So even though they try to tie all this stuff together, it just comes off feeling weird. Um, in the, in this game, it's really consistent. It's coherent. You move from point to point. You know, one case is essentially interrupted by the events that transpire to cause another case, and that case itself is the product of a different case, which yeah. then results in the fourth and fifth cases. I mean, it's like the game spirals in and around itself in a way that really makes, even though they're presented in a non-linear fashion by by mean mm-hmm. time wise, they they build on one another in ways that. Like, you may get little bits of information about a case you haven't gotten to yet. The bombing yeah. is a great example, the courtroom bombing. The courtroom bombing itself isn't, is essentially the case you're trying in the first case, but you're actually getting little tidbits you don't even realize it about case four and five downstream. And I like that because it creates a sort of a, a system of call and response in your mind that makes the whole story seem nice and consistent. And so then at the end, you get this sort of grand payoff as opposed to the individual payoffs for solving each case, which I really enjoy. Yeah. And uh, give me a ranking, Jim. Oh, I'm going to go worse to first, I guess. I'll leave investigations out of it because I don't know where I'll put it. Sure. Um, I'd say two is the worst game. Yep. Uh, Justice for all. Yes. Is this for all? Yeah. But it's got the best case. Arguably, I, lo- I think there's an argument to be had. I agree that it is the worst overall game. Yeah, I think I think it's the worst overall game that, weirdly, its final case is unbelievable. All right, yeah. Um, I would say after that, I'd go four. Just because I don't, I don't feel like they... I feel like they did such a better job with Apollo in this game. Like, it's almost a shame. Like, yeah. I could have... I never liked Apollo as a character. Through the entire fourth game, I didn't like him. I mean, his cords of steel bullshit and all that stuff, he just got to me. But yeah. in case, in this game, I like him a lot, even though he's a complete asshole. Yeah. But like, he's, he's an asshole with a personality. That's right. The difference. He, he's driven. He has reason for his being. He's not just basically an, an orphan who screams a lot. He's not New Phoenix. Right. And he's not trying to be, which is the biggest difference. I think Capcom was so trying to pit to sell Apollo as young Phoenix. He's not Phoenix. He's not the same person, and he gets to not be the same person now. So he's a much better character. Um, and, of course, the ending of 4 is complete and utter madness. Right. Um, then I'd say it's the first game, and I think I think mechanically the first game is obviously the most creaky in the joints. Yeah. Um, it's got the biggest issues. I think it's the one that has the worst, like, here's a piece of evidence. There's uh, there's no reason for you to expect it as a contradiction, but it is. Take my word for it. Yep. Because they're still trying to figure this whole thing out. But I think I think a combination of nostalgia and just the the fun I had with that game, you know, meeting these characters, this insane world. Um, it's it's also the most the most grounded in the real world of any of the games. Yeah, like they became they became increasingly manic as time goes on. Um, and then this game, I think, is probably two, yep. which is which is high praise. I think getting getting up to two in a series I love is really impressive. Um, I think having a consistent story, um, having you know some of the gameplay innovations, I'm really happy with. The ones I, I don't like as much, they don't upset me. They're just kind of like, eh, I kind of wish I had done that. So I think it's really hard to make tweaks to a gameplay format that's been established for four straight games, and yet strike the right balance of of tuning things up and not you know dramatically negatively impacting anything. Like mm-hmm. like we talked about, I think it's a little too easy sometimes, but yeah. It's still it's still a functionally very good game, and and it 
it's very focused on it's telling a very consistent story. And then I think for me, I think most people probably think this, the third game is a master stroke because yep. it not only is it an internally consistent story, if you've just played the third game, you would get everything. It managed to go and take these cases that were obviously never intended to be tied together from the first and second games and somehow weave a yarn that retroactively pulled them in in ways that made it seem like they planned it from the beginning. And I don't know how they pulled it off. I mean, some of the stuff they looped back in from, like, the death of Maya's mother. Yeah. Maya's, Maya, or uh, Mia's death. You know, the, 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 the collapse of the Faye family in, in the cases of the game, too. Like, how they pulled all these things back together to create this one meta-narrative that ultimately was being driven by a ghost of a person you haven't met yet who also happens to be a remote member of the Faye clan. And yet it all makes sense. That was amazing. And I remember when I got to the end of that game feeling exhausted. Like, just mentally and physically exhausted by what that game had taken me through. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. Three is definitely a masterpiece. Three is like... That's one of those games that... Uh, I guess it's not... I can't fairly score it at this point. Right. But if I was to score it, that might be the Phoenix Wright game I would give like a 10 out of 10. Like, yeah. if I absolutely had to. I uh, mean, from a gameplay yeah. standpoint, it's no better than two, than one or two. Right. I mean, it really isn't. But, like, four is four is mechanically better than any of the first three games. Mm -hmm. And five is mechanically better than all of them. Right. But three so lives by its plot that it's just, it's kind of befuddling. Yep. And uh, three, yep, three's the best. Um, four <laughs> is second worst. Two is the worst. I would personally switch... Five one and, and five. one, yeah, I can see only, that. Only because uh, maybe five. If you know what, if we argued it out, you could easily argue and win that five is a better game and has a better story. But I don't think the games exist in a bubble. And as the first game in the series, I think it's just like a classic. Right. I still oh, agree. Game is a classic. I, I could. You could do the same thing to me. We could argue about it. And I could switch them back and right. forth. Uh, so. Playing them all back to back to back to back like that, you had a different experience than I had where mm -hmm. I would play one and then wait a year and then get the next one, wait a year. I would late nize them. Yeah. Um, was getting, was getting through from game, the beginning of game one to the end of game three in what, like a month? Uh, I play games like you, James, so. Oh god, so like in, uh, yeah, so like in I, two weeks. I disperse through them in a couple days. Oh my god, like, I feel like the mental gymnastics it would have required of you must have been exhausting. It was amazing though, because like, I, that was delayed gratification. That was years of me never getting to play them. Oh, yeah. And then I had all of them in my hand at once. So, then, so, so like, when Game 3 explodes and starts roping in stuff from Games 1 and 2, it was still fresh in your head. Right. Were it's, you just losing your mind? Like, oh, my God, how did they was, do this? See, that happened multiple times, though. That happened in the Gantt case. That happened in the uh, Matt Engard case. That happened with the uh, this final case. And, like, it even happened a little bit at the end in the Apollo Justice case when, yeah. they, when their family relation was revealed. That was the great thing. Those aha, holy shit moments. That is what made it easy to play through 80 hours of gameplay. Oh, God, games. I can't imagine. I mean, that's the stock and trade of the series. It's right. the grand reveal. If you get there before the game does, you feel super proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. So you don't get the... Ex you st and you still have the moment where your head explodes like Phoenix right. does whenever he gets caught with these things. You're just like... <gasps> <laughs> well, it just happened. 
And then, like, when it gets there, you feel the sense of validation. But if you don't get there ahead of the game, and the game drops it on you, yeah. there's this moment of, oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, you might just put the system down and walk away for a few minutes and go, what just happened? Because you've got to get your head straight again. Like, because it never reveals it in, like, a, in a safe zone either. It's, like, it's the middle of, like, where the case is going completely bonkers, and everybody's got to... Every, you're basically just hanging on by little pieces of evidence at this point. And the game just totally tosses a grenade into your mental processes. All right, try to keep your head straight now. But that feeling, I would argue, is especially fresh off these games, is one of the best things about this entire series. Oh, absolutely. It is the reason to keep playing. Absolutely. It's, it, and you know it's coming, and it still blows you up every time you hit it. Yeah. I mean, even when you know when it's going to come, because it it happens roughly the same time every game. Yeah. It's the last case. It's, you know, about two-thirds of the way in. They've started playing the cornered theme, and the person <laughs> that you now know is really the killer has just dropped something on you that feels like a bomb's gone off, and suddenly your whole case against them has exploded. Right. And then whatever insane piece of evidence comes out that comes out that's like, oh, my God. My adopted daughter and my protege are brother and sister, and their mother is the victim of this case. Or something something equally insane, like, oh my god, my ex-girlfriend was actually possessed by the ghost of her twin sister, who's actually the ghost of Pearl's, is actually Pearl's older sister, who's actually Maya's cousin, who's actually trying to kill Maya. What in the <laughs> hell am I doing right now? Like, your, your brain just goes, oh, shutdown mode! And you have to kind of fight to keep it going because you've just like the whole the whole game ecosystem has just been flipped on its head. And it was funny is their motto in this game the 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 attorneys, besides their motto about you know always smile right before it's over, you know is is uh I have to flip this case on its head. And when they do it, usually the game follows suit by just making things completely crazy. And that's like. I mean, they'll do it a couple times. In, in the case, we're talking case four, where you realize, oh shit, he wasn't actually dead. He was alive then. You're like, oh, oh my god, everything just changed about this case. Or when they reveal that actually the uh, the guy you thought was the the nine tail fox wrestler, no, nah, is it was the uh, it was the kill uh, the suspected killer. Right. Like even these little micro moments of flipping everything on its head. I feel like this game did them so many times that it's just it's just this constant sense of oh my god what just happened, and you get the you get more opportunities to beat the game there and get the joy that comes with doing that, and you get more opportunities to just be completely blown out of your chair by the game going crazy. Right, it's it's great. And that yeah, exactly, Phoenix Wright or Ace Attorney is great, and I am going to leave you guys on that note. Thank you for joining me, James. Thank you for having me. It was. Awesome. This was a brilliant segment, and assuming you guys actually get to listen to it, because we've been rambling for an hour and a half. Our editor's going to kill us. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, this is definitely one of the best connectivity segments I've done. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that, no, thank you. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed participating. And I hope you enjoyed playing the game, because if you got this far and you didn't play the game, you have failed as a person. <laughs> And feel free to uh, bring up on the talkback thread if you have anything else to say. Yeah. I think that will do it for this segment. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.
All right, that will do it for episode 111 of Connectivity. As always, you can send your listener mail to connectivity at com. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't done so yet. And follow us on Twitter. Go to NintendoWorldReport.com. The Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you can find all of our usernames there. And next week, there won't be a regular episode, but be sure to tune in Saturday for our all-day podcast extravaganza uh, with us and everyone else at Nintendo World Report. We'll be doing a game of Who Wants to Be a Nintendo Air uh, with live audience participation. So you can join in and maybe win some prizes. We'll see you then. <laughs>